Okay. Welcome this morning. And kids, good to have you in too. And as you're colouring or sitting with mum or dad and you might think, oh, this is grown-up church, I can turn off. Please don't, because I remember when I was your age that God spoke to me in church. God tapped me on the shoulder and sometimes said things to me. So I hope that God may speak to you today as well. The only deal was when I went to church, because we always had Sunday school beforehand and then kids came to church, my mum said I could sit with my friends on one condition, that I sat in front of her. And if I talked too much, she'd pull my ponytail. But it's okay because mum's sitting in the front row, she's not behind anyone, so your ponytails are safe. All right, but I hope that you may hear God speak to you this morning. I remember when I made a telephone call and I had to do this. It's a bit clonky. My phone wasn't actually as old as this, but this is as close as what I could get. Nine, four, five, seven, one, two, two, four. And then if I wanted to talk privately, I'd have to sneak like this with the cord and stretch it as far as I could into my room and close the door and try and have a private conversation without anybody else hearing. And you'd be chatting away and then there'd be a bash on the door because your sister wanted the phone or someone else might be trying to call. I remember calling on a phone a bit like this. I remember driving to a service station in my 64 Volkswagen and sitting there while someone came and put the petrol in and they cleaned my window and they checked my oil and I paid them cash and I didn't have to get out of the car and I drove away. Gosh, I wish they still did that. I would pay for that. And if I think really, really carefully, when I stayed at my grandmother's house, Sometimes early in the morning, I could hear the horse and cart go by with milk in the morning. I could hear the clip-clop of the horse in Heidelberg. Wow, I'm ancient, but I'm not really. I'm, going to, I'm getting with it. This is the first time I've used an iPad for my notes, so let's see how we go. Wish me luck. So there's that sort of remembering where you grab a memory... But there's also another type of remembering. You know when you really know you have to remember something and you can't forget it? I'm not sure how you do it. I don't know whether you do that word association thing so that you don't forget. Maybe you're a sticky note person and you put sticky notes everywhere so that you don't forget to do this or that. Maybe you're one of those people who put your car keys in the fridge with the groceries that you can't forget before you go somewhere. Have you ever done that? I did it one morning. And I had to call Trev, going, Trev, I can't find the car keys, pick me up for church. And I was sitting here in church and I went, the car keys are in the fridge with the milk that I was supposed to bring to church. <laughs> I don't have a great memory. We do all sorts of things. Well, for me, this is my memory, my diary. This is my 2016 diary that I'm hoping will make to the end of the year. It's split up to here. It's hanging on by dear thread. But this is my life. It's got everything in it, the places I've been, people's phone numbers, people's names, 
If I have to retrace anything that's happened in my life this year, it's in here. It's, it's a treasury of memories. And then within my diary, I have this thing called a to-do list. I don't know about you, but... Oh, now I've even lost my to-do list. Oh, no, here it is. Here it is, my to-do list. And my to-do list goes like this. Must do today is the first column. Like to do today is the next column. And then to do another day. And these are the things that I write down that I need to remember. But they're just not memories that I'm thinking about. They're things that require an action. They're things that I have to do. I have to respond to these things. Call the circus. Has anyone been to the circus yet? Anyone? Did you get through? Great. Took me six calls to get through, but I can tick it off. I'm going to the circus next week. Great things that I need to remember to do. Oh, oh, we don't want Nemo. Remembering. We're looking at remembering today. How do we remember? You see, in the Bible, there's a word that says zakah, which is a Hebrew word for remembering. And this word doesn't mean just plucking a memory, but it's a remembering that requires an action, a little bit like a to-do list. You put it on your to-do list because you know you've got to do something about it. Over 8,000 times, the word remembering is in the Bible, a remembering that requires an action. You see, God... Always remember his covenant, his deal, his agreements. He always remembers them. He always remembers his promises. He doesn't give up on those. And he always remembers his people. God never forgets. And his remembering is an action. This is what the people say. God heard their groanings and he remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and he was concerned about them. I've heard the groanings of the Israelites whom the Egyptians are enslaving and I have remembered my covenant with them. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not abandon you or destroy you or forget the covenant with your ancestors which he confirmed to them by oath. You see, God remembers and God acts. And if we go back to the Exodus story that we've been looking at over the last few weeks, we see that we have a people who escaped from Egypt. They called out to God and they said, God, don't you remember us? Don't you remember what's happening? Help us, save us, do something about it. And God starts off this amazing experiencing by parting the Red Sea and they walk through the Red Sea on dry land and they get to the wilderness. And God is fulfilling this promise that he's going to take them to a new land, a land flowing with milk and honey, a fabulous place. And we've been talking about what was it like when they were in the desert, in this liminal space, this in-between space. We know God's got a promise and we're going to get there, but we're not there yet. We're in this in-between, wondering how long, how far, what's going to happen. But in this process, in this liminal space, God is actually saying to them, look at me. Trust me, I'm going to show you who I am. I'm going to show you what I'm like. Now, they were a bit like us. They grumbled, they complained, they groaned. God provided food and then they didn't like it. They wanted meat, so God provided meat. And then God provided water and God guided them. He guided them by a cloud by day. So when the cloud moved, they followed the cloud 
And at night, he was a pillar of fire. And when the pillar moved, they moved. And when the pillar stopped, they stopped. It was in a sense that they were in the very presence of God. And Moses would go and talk to God and then tell the people what God had said. They were close and near to God. And God was trying to show them what he was like. But then God says to them, after 40 years of being in the desert, a long time, I don't think anyone expected to be there for that long, the next generation had risen up and God says to them, okay, I'm about to take you to the promised land. We're about to fulfill this promise. But watch out, he says, be careful, beware that in your plenty... You do not forget the Lord your God and disobey his commands, regulations and decrees that I'm giving you today. For when you become full and prosperous, when everything is good and you've built fine homes to live in, when your flocks and herds have become very large and your silver and gold is multiplied along with everything else, be careful. God says, you've seen me, you've seen me provide everything for you. Your clothes didn't wear out, your feet didn't swell. You've been walking for 40 years and your feet didn't swell. God says, but I'm about to take you to a good place, a prosperous place. But don't forget me in the good times. Don't forget me in the land of plenty, in the good times. I don't know about you, but... um, My flocks and my herds aren't doing particularly well at the moment. I don't have any creatures at the Arnott household. The fox took my chooks and that's the end of it. But you know what? I live in a fine home. I live in a very fine home. And actually, it's a little bit finer this week than it was last week because I painted my lounge room last week. But it's not orange. It's okay. Neutral. Cream. It's all okay. Troy's happy. You see, I thought I was going to paint my lounge room in two days, but four and a half days later, and mind you, there were three 16-hour days of painting in that time because my ceilings are really high and there's lots of seams and up and down a ladder to do the roller and up again, eight steps up, balancing on the second step of my highest ladder. I'm still recovering. My hands are sore. My wrist is sore. My home is fine. Really fine, a beautiful home. As I was up my ladder painting, I remember looking down at my lounge room and thinking, I once lived in an apartment that was the the whole apartment was the size of this lounge room. It was pretty ordinary, it was pretty pokey. You walked in the door, there was a toilet bathroom there, you were in the kitchen, the living room was there, and one bedroom was there. It was probably a third the size of this double room. And I remember thinking, it's a bit of a horrible place to live. It's on the bottom story of three stories. And out the back window of our bedroom was a dumpster for the block of flats. And most nights, there'd be a homeless person rummaging through the dumpster trying to find something to eat or something of value. You see, this little apartment was in America. And even though it was the stingiest, grottiest place I've probably ever lived in, It was the most miraculous place I'd ever lived in. Because, you see, Troy and I were studying in the States. We'd gone to Bible college. We'd been there for two years, and we're about to come home before we'd finished our study. It was one of those liminal spaces where I wondered what God was doing. 
going, God, why would we give up our jobs, pay so much money to come over here and study? We're two years down. We haven't finished finished the degrees we tried to do and money's run out. It looks like we have to come home. God, was that a good idea? Was that good sense? What are you doing? We have to come home without a piece of paper saying we've finished anything. It will mean nothing in Australia. And then we get a phone call one day from this housing women's shelter that says, by any chance, are you interested in being house parents and living here for a year to help look after women who've been experiencing domestic violence? We can't pay you anything, but we'll give you a place to live for free. There's nothing special about this apartment, but it was God's provision. And it meant that we could stay in America for one more year, finish our study and come home. It wasn't a fine home, but it was God's provision. It showed me something about the goodness of God. It showed me that God cares, that God listens, God understands, and God provides. And I have this funny little thing, a little Uncle Sam ornament that hangs in my house that reminds me about my American experience and how God showed up in the most incredible ways continuously in really difficult times where if God didn't provide, it wasn't going to happen. A little memento of God's provision for three years living in America. You know what? I live in a place at the moment that's pretty comfortable. I think our lives journey a bit of this, a bit of an up and down. And we can probably all think of times that have been really difficult and tough where God has shown up. Maybe it's been a long time and you're hanging on, hoping God will show up. But we sometimes get to good spaces and we forget. We forget about God because we're self-sufficient. It's not a bad thing to live in a nice house. It's not a bad thing to have a great job. It's not a bad thing to be able to provide for your family, to provide for yourself, provide for others. But I sometimes wonder if we get a little bit comfortable. Don't become proud at that time and forget the Lord your God who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. He's saying, remember back, remember what I did. Don't forget that he led you through the great and terrifying wilderness with its poisonous snakes and scorpions where it was so hot and dry. He gave you water from a rock. He fed you with manna in the wilderness, a food unknown to your ancestors. Why? He did this to humble you and test you for your own good so that you would never say to yourself, I've done it. I've achieved this wealth with my own strength and energy. Remember the Lord your God. He's the one who gives you power to be successful. Have you ever thought about that? Is God the one who gives you the power to be successful? Do you ever stop to say, thanks God? Thanks for giving me the ability to do this job you've given me. He's the one who gives you power to be successful. In order to fulfill the covenant, he confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. We have a God who remembers and acts. But he says to us, don't you forget, 
Don't you forget who I am. Don't you forget what I've done. Don't forget. Remember me. If I'm honest with myself, I'm in a place of comfort at the moment. Life's going pretty well. Things are going okay. Not too many tragedies, not too many dramas. But I can't help but to say, God, do you want me to be more dependent on you? Do you want me to take some bigger risks in trusting you in my place of comfort, in my land of plenty, in my fine home? Are there challenges that you want me to take on where if you don't show up, God, I'm going to fail? And I sometimes think, NZR, are we in a place of comfort? We started. It was tricky. There wasn't many of us. We didn't know if anyone would turn up. Here you all are, 15 years later, 14 years later. Are we in a place of comfort? Does God want to juggle us a little bit and go, hey, remember how I turned up? Remember how I was good? Look what I've done. Look what I've done in 14 years. But guys, you're getting a bit too comfortable in your fine home and your great flocks and your gold and your silver. Are we a little bit comfortable? I wonder what it would look like if we let God shake us a little bit and challenge us a little bit that we went, hey, Maybe I need to step out in faith a little bit more and trust God. What would that look like? To be a bit more dependent on God, even in a place of comfort. God tells us to remember him. And the remembering the zakah, I think, is also practical for us. It's an action. It's not just let's have good memories, but let's do something about it. Firstly, we need to make time to meet with him. If we want to be challenged by God, if we want God to do something in our lives and to push us a little bit, if we want to experience a miraculous God turning up and doing incredible things, we need to sit with God and say, what? What is it, God, that you want me to do? Who is it that you want me to spend time with? What do you want me to give away? We need to spend time with God. I was at a conference this week and Bill Hybels, pastor of Willow Creek, a huge church, he says, my challenge to my church is 15 minutes with God every day. 15 minutes, is that all? What would it look like if every one of us, kids too, 15 minutes with God where you sat down and you opened your Bible and said, God, help me read this and understand this. If I don't get it, can you help me understand Talking to God, praying to God and saying, God, what do you want me to do today? Because God speaks to us. God might say to us, you know that kid sitting by himself at lunchtime? Just go and sit next to him and eat your lunch. You know that boss that's been really, really difficult and has sacked half your friends? Have you ever thought about going and asking them how it is to be a boss that has to make difficult decisions every day? How's he going? What would it be like if we spent 15 minutes with God every day? We listened to what he wanted me to do. And make time to meet with God followers. You know what? 
I love that fact where that point in the movie of Nemo where Dory says to Marlon, don't go, don't go. When I hang around you, I remember more. That's what a church community is like. We remember more because we hear Carolyn's story and we go, that's right. I'm a bit like that. I've been there. She's writing and she's asking God to help her. Perhaps I can do that. When we listen to other people's story, when we listen to other people's experiences, you know what? We don't have to go to church every single Sunday of the year. But you know what? We're better when we are. We're better when we turn up to small group. We're better when we turn up to youth group because we've got other people reminding us of what God's like. And when we feel like giving up, they go, no, don't give up. Hang in there. I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to support you. I'm going to be there. We need each other to do this. And then we're called to make memorials so we don't forget. I'm a really, really visual person. I've got little memorials and bits and pieces all around my house. That's why I'm such a clutterer. That's my excuse. But I've shown a few of my memorials before of things that I've got around my house. But I found another one just the other day, rummaging through my treasure boxes. Now, some of you have heard the story um, of 19 years ago when I lost my first baby at 18 weeks. And I've got a beautiful tapestry to remember that baby and God's goodness in it. But I found this journal which is very different. Again, this is a journal of all the cards and notes that people gave to me when I lost my first baby. Now, the interesting thing about this journal and this memorial is not that they're just people's kind words, but these came from strangers. These are notes and cards from people I didn't even know. You see, we'd just come back from America, from our pokey little apartment, We'd just come back to Australia and we'd been offered a job at Blackie North Baptist Church, job sharing. We got a job. And lo and behold, awkward situation, you get offered a job and then you tell them the next week you're pregnant. Okay, well, it happens. So here I was in this new church, just told them that we were having a baby. Everyone was excited like they are. And then a few weeks later, I lost my baby. I had people who turned up on my doorstep who said, Bron, hi, I'm Sue, you don't even know me, here's dinner. Hi, here's some flowers, I'm really sorry for your loss. All these cards from complete strangers who loved me and said, I'm sorry, sorry to hear of your loss, I care. And this memorial is special to me because I, I said to God, I said, hey, I'm the pastor of the church. That's the job they gave me. And God said to me, you know what? This group of people, this group of strangers, are going to care for you before you ever start caring for them. And God taught me to care for strangers. And this is my memorial of God's love and care from people that didn't even know me but loved me because they loved Jesus. And I remember that now. And now I can go to strangers when I hear of tragedy in their lives or things that have happened or people at work that I hardly know because I know love can come from strangers. That's a memorial that God taught me. And God says to the people, to the Israelites, he says to them, make memorials so you don't forget. And this is what Jesus says, God says, 
He says, as you're about to go into the promised land, you're going to cross the Jordan. It's interesting. They cross the Red Sea to get into the wilderness, and then they cross the Jordan to get into the promised land. And both times, God does this incredible parting of the river. And the Jordan, they actually say the Jordan was in flood at the time. So if you can picture what you've seen on the news in New South Wales, all those flood rivers, it was like that. The Jordan was flooding, and it parts. And as they walk through the Jordan on dry land... God says to them, I want 12 men, one from each tribe, to take 12 stones from the very place where the priests are standing in the middle of the Jordan, carry them out and pile them up at the place where you will camp tonight. Joshua said to the Israelites, in in the future the children will ask, what's this pile of stones all about? And you can tell them, this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. It wasn't just cleared. It wasn't even muddy. It was dry. God's miracle. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and he kept it dry until they were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we'd all crossed over. He did this so that all nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear and honour God forever. Wow. So kids, when you get dragged to church and you go, I want to sleep in. I don't want to go to church today. It's school holidays. You know what? Your parents are doing the right thing because they're telling you. They're telling you about God. They're bringing you to a place where you can hear about God's faithfulness and God's goodness. But he says, what I want you to do is pick up a rock. Oh, I don't know whether they were rocks like this or whether they were nice, smooth pebbles. I think they might have been a bit more like this. And he says, build them up, 12 of them. Build them up and make a big pile, a memorial. So when everybody looks back and goes, what's that over there? Tell them the story of God's goodness, of what God has done. You know what? We've got a great memorial to build. All our lives have got memorials to build because God is good. And we can remember because this is what Moses says. He says, for what great nation has a God near to them like us? How lucky are we? We've had a God who's near to us whenever we call on him. He's been there. And what great nation has decrees, regulations as righteous and fair as his body of instructions? Not only is he a great God who hears us, but his instructions are good and fair and right. We can follow them. They're good. Lucky us. And you know what? He did it so that all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful. God remembers. And when he remembers, he's active. And he calls us to remember him in an active way, by spending time with him, by spending time in community, by dreaming dreams and acting for him. But you know what? He also says to us, there's a world out there that doesn't even know me, that has no memories of me. I want you to be the reminders. I want your life and what you do and how you live to be a reminder so that they can go, oh, wow, do you follow God? Is that what it looks like? Our lives are to be reminders of our world, of what an amazing God we have. And as we finish 
today. I'm going to give you an option to respond, to make a bit of a memorial. I've got smooth stones, so I've got a few big rocks. Maybe you're somebody who goes, actually, I don't have any of God to remember because I don't know if I've actually discovered God yet. I don't even know if he's real, but I might like to say, I'm going to try and spend 15 minutes a day with God. I'm going to come and pick up a rock and put it as a memorial over here and say, okay, God, will you show up in my life? I'd like you to show up. I'm going to put a rock there and my rock's going to be, God, I'm in a land of plenty. I'm in a good spot. I'm smooth sailing. But you know what, God, I want to be more dependent on you. I want to see you do some fabulous things. Would you use me? Would you stretch me? Would you help me trust you more? That's what my rock's going to represent. Or maybe you just want to say, okay, God, 15 minutes a day. I think I can do that. Half a lousy TV show. I can do that because I want to hear God speak in my life. So as we have some time of reflection, if you'd like to respond by making a memorial to say, God, I want to do this. I want to remember you. And I want to remind you to my world that needs to know a good God.